Uh, as you're aware, we're, we're continuing in uh, Genesis. We've got this week. George is going to come and have a look at Genesis 11 next week, and I'm going to finish in Genesis 12. Uh, last week, George preached Genesis uh, John 1, and there was a reason for that. Uh, it was. A, I hope you saw some connection about uh, Christ being the Word made flesh and the Word that got spoken uh, in creation. Uh, but we're going to come together this morning and just look at this covenant that's been made after Noah and his sons and his family and all living creatures have come out of the ark. So let's pray with me and, uh, and we'll, yeah, we'll have a look closely. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that your word is powerful. It is the double-edged sword of the Holy Spirit. We pray now, Lord, that our hearts will be convicted, that we will be shown the great glory of God and his grace and mercy upon us, but also, Lord, that we'll be moved to to respond in likeness towards those people around us, both in the church and outside the church. And Father God, we pray that you will open our eyes now and bless this time together. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure you know who that is. That's Bill Gates. Uh, he's a billionaire. He's co-founder of Microsoft. But he does say that in an interview that he regrets one thing about when he created Microsoft and the Windows platform. And that is the Control-Alt-Delete function. Uh, now, at the time, he wasn't expecting us all to use it so much. But one of the main things, for those who aren't fully conversed with uh, computers, a Control-Alt-Delete function often is what you use when you need to restart your computer because it's frozen. Now, Bill Gates didn't expect us to be using it that much, but I seem to use it every hour. Uh, and all you Apple people are having a good laugh. Um, but unfortunately, for Bill Gates, he foresaw this uh, and he did ask for one button on the keyboard, but his designer said, no, we can't do it, and he regrets not holding fast. You see, uh, he foresaw, however, that there would be a need to restart uh, your computer if it froze. And the problem when your computer freezes is that there's conflict within the operating system. And so you need to reboot it in order for that conflict to be resolved and to move on and basically start again. See, when the way your computer is designed fails to function in the way it was designed, uh, the, as designed by the creator, the creator has enabled a restart with the Control-Alt-Delete function. It reboots the system and it gets rid of all the conflicts. Well, today we're looking at God performing a control-alt-delete of creation. See, Noah and his family and the other creatures have exited the ark. And now God, in two ways, performs this control-alt-delete function. Firstly, he renews the blessing that was given to humanity at creation. And secondly, he establishes a covenant with humanity and all of creation. And that's the passage that's before us this morning, and it's a very central passage uh, in order for us to understand Genesis as a whole. So if you have your Bibles, please turn them uh, to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, where we discover that God is renewing uh, the blessing that was given to humanity at creation. It says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Now notice this section begins with God talking directly 
to Noah and directly to his sons. If you remember back a few weeks when I looked at Genesis chapter 6, six to 8, effectively the whole flood narrative, uh, we saw God made a commitment at the end of that within himself. Back in chapter 8, verse 21, only a few verses beforehand, uh, it says this. It says, The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. Now, that aroma is coming from uh, the sacrifices that Noah is making with the animals that were in the ark to God when they come out of the ark. So, that the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground. Because the humans, even though ev- because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Now this is a determination made by God's love, and He's made it within Himself. You see, He never wants to do this again. God's heart breaks when he exercises his righteous judgment upon his creation. See, often we think he finds some sort of weird joy out of punishing and and executing judgment. No, his heart breaks. And in himself, in chapter 8, he says, never again, never again. And now in chapter 9, this commitment to humanity is being revealed to humanity. It's being implemented. And what's crucial for us to understand here is that the declaration of the reality of the human heart has not changed from before the flood. It is still forming evil all the time, and he says this before the flood. See, in the same way that the Windows operating system isn't changed when you do the control-alt-delete function. It doesn't renew the operating system. You still have the issues within the operating system. It just helps you to move on. In the same way, this is what God's doing now. He is re-establishing the blessing that's coming. But But humanity is still prone to sin. It's still prone to conflicts. It's still prone to our issues. But God's love and his commitment is now being revealed that he is going to bless us even in the light of this. And this is what's so crucial for us to understand here. Back in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, well when God first had this blessing to them, to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth, humanity was without sin at that point. The blessing was justified. It was deserved even. It was right for God to bless. But now he's blessing despite the reality of the human heart. That's how much his love and his commitment is is to his people. See, he's hitting the control-alt-delete command. And notice we are told this is a blessing. It's a blessing. It's not actually a command. In fact, the Bible consistently talks about children being a blessing on the earth. You see, God tells us to go and do this, but it's in fact he who enables it, he who blesses us so that we will fulfill the mandate. Psalm 127.3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, 
offspring a reward from him. So this is the blessing. Now in our home, we have a reward chart. Aren't they wonderful things? Trying to manipulate your kids to do what you want them to do. See, when our kids do their jobs, they get a certain amount of stars. That's not the one we use, but it's very close. They get a certain amount of stars, and when they fill up a line of stars, we give them a little money. And then when they accumulate that money uh, and we go to the shops, uh, they effectively get to buy something, and it's, it's, you know, they've earned their reward. Now, the truth is our kids don't really care much for doing their jobs. I don't think any kids or any adults that I know care much for doing their jobs. Nor do they really care about how many stars they have. Nor do they care about how much money is in that jar. Until I say these words. We're going to the shops. And then all of a sudden, there's this frantic race to check their jars. And they're empty. Now, every parenting book at this moment will tell you You are not to reward your children. Otherwise, you are the worst parent that has ever lived. So, of course, I find as many jobs as I can in 10 minutes for them to do how irrelevant they are so they can earn enough stars to get a little bit of money so I don't have to deal with the tantrums in the shop. But, of course, when we get to Kmart and all they can afford is some bubbles, I have to then reward them by topping that up to give them something that they need. Now, when they get the reward, sorry, did I say need? Want. When they get the reward, however, they start boasting about how they'd earned this reward, about how this is their wages, about how they deserved it, when in fact it was never that. It was a blessing. I had blessed them. Let's face it. I hadn't earned anything, really. Yes, we still taught them a little bit of that. So we so often miss the fact that everything we have, everything that we earn, everything that we think we achieve is a blessing. We miss this fact. Right back to Noah, God has said he will bless us. We are only alive because he has blessed us. We only have the ability to do anything because he knitted us together. We only have family, we only have husbands or wives, we only have anything because he has enabled us and given that to us. We so often miss us. And the parenting books tell me that I am a terrible parent and my kids are going to suffer when they expect everything and they don't have to earn it into the future. Well, let me just say this passage says that God is a bad parent according to the books. See, because that who, who, that's who God is. He gives blessing when it's not earned. He gives reward then when there's no reason for it because he loves his children. So we see that here in this passage. And to fully grasp it, we need to recognise that back in Genesis 1 verse 21, when he gave that first blessing, it was justified. But here it's not justified. We haven't done anything. But he still blesses us because of his love for us. How can our kids learn God's blessing? Is if all we ever do is make them earn their rewards. 
They get it in school. They get it at home. They get it everywhere. Now, there's good lessons in that. Don't hear me wrong. But how will they ever come to know the blessing of God, particularly in Christ, if we are not willing to at times lavish blessing upon them? So how much blessing are you exercising upon each other? See, are we any good at this? As a church, are we looking to each other and only really allowing ourselves to reward people? Well, they've deserved it, so I'll give them something. Or, you know, just, just these, little, these little things that go around and we, we think, oh, we really appreciate uh, all the work that someone's doing. Have you ever thought of how much an unearned blessing and the impact that has? I remember when I was working and I, I thought I'd put this to the test. I was working for a recruitment company at the time. I didn't last very long. Uh, but there was a lady there who just took a real dislike to me. Uh, it's hard to believe, isn't it? She, she absolutely could not stand me. I think, I don't know if I was being threatened or whatever. Anyway, so one day she just was ranting and raving at me. And, you know, your first instinct is to rant and rave back. But I just started. And so I'm just sitting there. And I thought, and I, I think I'd been through some Bible study that week, and so I, it was fresh on my mind about grace. And I thought, how can I, how can I, f- just speak into this? So I went down the shops and I bought her a bunch of flowers, and I put them on her desk. And I still remember her looking at me, just completely dumbfounded as to what's going on. And I just said, "They're for you. I just wanted to go and buy you some flowers." Now, it made her even more mad because she thought I was passively, aggressively attacking her. But that wasn't the case. But blessing someone who has not earned it, that's what God is. That's what forgiveness is. That's what Christ is. That's who we are. I had a, uh, I got a friend down in Blacktown in a church down there that I was part of. And his name's Bernie. I might have shared this before, but... He used to set aside a certain amount of his pay every fortnight or whatever. So that if there was a new person that came into the church, particularly those who were from overseas, he could find out what a need was that they had and then just go and buy it. It might have been a lawnmower. It might have been whatever. His money would accumulate and then he'd go and just bless them. Didn't even know them. Hope Street, I think, I think the team is heading out next week undeserved blessing into people's lives with food. Now our cleaners are here. Now don't think that I haven't noticed that I get in Mondays and Thursdays and all my dirty coffee cups that I've left strewn all over my table are cleaned and put in a nice little row. I'm not expecting that, but gee, I've asked you not to do it many times, but you just keep doing it. See, that's blessing. It's hard to take. It's like, I should be cleaning my own coffee cups. It's not what the church pays you for, but that's a blessing. See, they're little things, but they can be big things. But there's a second piece here of blessing in Genesis uh, chapter 9. If you just have a look at verses 2 and 3, it says, The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky and every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. 
They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Now this mention of fear and dread from other creatures upon us is not mentioned earlier. And I think the reason for that is that all happened at the fall. All that conflict was part of the fall. And think about the blessing. Our, our evolutionists tell us, well, it's survival of the fittest. Really? Humanity? Look how small we are compared to these other creatures. We can see how, how many of them. It's not survival of the fittest. What God's saying here is that he's put fear and dread in the animals because we are blessed. This is survival of the blessed. We are prevailing because God has put the same fear and dread from the creatures in, uh, towards us. The same words for fear and dread are what we are to have towards God. See, he is establishing an order of creation here. We are to rule, and this was part of Genesis 1 as well, but now this is a grace, this is helping us to rule and to survive. Well, God then speaks directly against murder, and I won't go into that, but basically don't kill one another, okay? Uh, and then to not eat animals with lifeblood in it, but we haven't got time to explore that uh, and how that relates into the gospel and the rest. And then in verse 7, he reinforces with a bookend here the blessing again. And he says again, he says, As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. So the first thing that God does here is he establishes, he reestablishes his blessing upon, upon creation. Well, the second thing God does in uh, is to reset, to hit the control, alt, delete function, is to establish a new covenant, a pact even, as John Goldingay calls it. A covenant, a promise, but it's more of a, it's more of a very uh, reality of, of a, a promise which is one-sided and enacted. And it's with all humanity and all living creatures. Have a look at verses 8 to 11 there. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. See, God simply states what he has already made uh, back in his heart, back in chapter 8, that never again will there be a flood large enough to destroy all life on earth. Now, I want you to notice the one-sidedness of this covenant, of this arrangement, of this decision. There is no ifs, there is no buts. I will not flood the earth if doesn't exist. I will not flood the earth uh, unless or but if you there's no it's nothing there. It's just a, a decision that's been made by God. There are no requirements of humanity to make this effective. There are no mentions mention there's no mention of consequences 
if we fail to live up to an agreement? Because there is no agreement. This isn't an ag a contract. There are no expectations here. God has already declared in his heart what it is. And now the decision's made. He is now making it, putting it into place, and he's enacting it. God has determined it, God establishes it, and God speaks it. It is purely one way. There is nothing that we have to do with this. But also notice it's not just for Noah and his sons. It is for all future generations. We are all benefactors of this covenant. He is speaking directly to you and to me in this. And in fact, he's talking to Christians and non-Christians. He's talking to all humanity. We are in God's mind when he makes this. See, it's like the will of Wellington Burt. Wellington Burt decided to leave his fortune to generations not yet born. He died in 1919, but decided that his estate would not be divided up. Now imagine how, how, how distraught his uh, children were. But it wouldn't be divided up until 21 years after the death of his last grandchild. That'd hurt. Well, that day came in 2010, when $110 million was divided up between 12 people. They weren't there during his life, and they never knew him. But I reckon they now love him. See, Wellington Burt determined his will. He established his will. Then he spoke his will. The beneficiaries didn't need to do anything. In fact, they couldn't do anything to earn it, and they couldn't do anything to stop it. They were going to receive the money whether they liked it or not. You are going to be blessed whether you like it or not. Whether you acknowledge that God exists, whether you acknowledge that he is God. There is no discrimination here. You have been blessed and all humanity has been blessed by God. In fact, down in verse 16 here, it says that this is an everlasting covenant. There is no end to it. See, he's pointing to a day when this is going to be fulfilled in a way that I believe where the word became flesh. See, the righteous judgment that God will exercise in the final day is not something he takes pleasure in, but it's something that his character demands. The good news is that as for those of us who turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, God's love, his blessing, will be known. And it is a love far beyond anything that has sacrificed his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. A love that con conquers the consequences of sin and death, conquers that heart that almost destroyed the earth, but whom God loves anyway. See, that through faith in Jesus, we are told every promise, every covenant has its yes. God will never again destroy all life with a flood, but he will also provide a way of salvation 
restoration and reconciliation through Christ. Well, then in verse 12 to 17, I won't read the whole thing, but God affirms this covenant with an everlasting sign. And what a wonderful sign it is, the rainbow. I'll just read you verses, verses 12 and 13. We're already there. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now, just this week, Ellie shared with me, she picked the kids up from school and there was a rainbow. And they spent, I don't know how long, but on the way home, they decided to just start chasing the rainbow. Rainbows do that, don't they? They just take our breath away. They take our attention. And we, have, we just stop whatever we're doing and we call everyone over and we say, hey, look at the rainbow. I remember there was a rainbow on our wedding day and we got married on the rocks. That's not a joke. We got married on the rocks at Mar- uh, Maroubra and behind us was a rainbow and the photographer's like, quick, 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 come over here. And, and so we got this... It, yeah, it looked like it was coming out of my head, actually, but that's... <laughs> maybe I was just reflecting off it. But anyway, but, uh, it, you know, they're just one of these spectacular moments that you stop whatever you do. See, they're beautiful. And I think there's a reason for that. See, the world knows that a rainbow is a multicolored arc, and I didn't know this, but I've looked this up, a multicolored arc made by light striking water droplets. It is caused by light being refracted when entering a droplet of water, then refract, reflected ins- inside on the back of the droplet and refracted again when leaving it. Pretty impressive. Let me say today, rainbows are so much more than that. Like so much of science, it explains their function. It explains how in the created world they, they are functioning or they can, they can work. But it does nothing to change their purpose. Rainbows are a reminder of God's grace and his love upon us. They are a reminder that he will never destroy the whole earth again with the rain that is falling. They are a reminder that God remembers us, that he is present, that he is active, and he is in control. But there's more significance than that. In the bow, in the ancient Near East, the bow was a symbol of war. It was a symbol to say that there was conflict. Well, God is placing a bow of colour in the sky to declare peace with humanity, to declare that I am going to bring forth a day of peace, a day when there will be reconciliation between me and humanity, a day when I will conquer sin and death, a day when my enemies will become my allies. See, that is the day of Jesus. And this day is both coming and it has come. It is the day where the rainbow sees its yes, its truth, its fulfilment in its fullest. See, our world has stolen our rainbow. Isn't it interesting? 
The devil has stolen the pitchfork. Have you thought? I've mentioned that in Psalm 1, I think. In fact, Matthew tells us Jesus is the one with the pitchfork where he sifts the wheat from the chaff. He is the judge, but the devil has stolen that. And we're told love is love. Isn't it interesting that the rainbow is the great symbol of love? but a greater symbol than even our world can place upon it. Not a symbol of a human to a human. A symbol of the creator of the world to all of humanity. But we rip that truth out and we claim it for ourselves. Almost uh, wanted to tell you, let's reclaim the rainbow. (laughs) But (laughs) that would just be silly. We don't need to reclaim the rainbow. Rainbow is God's. We don't own the rainbow. That's for him to put in the sky to remind us, all of humanity, of his great mercy and love for us. Let me just read to you uh, from Romans chapter 5. I don't have this up behind me, but Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood or made right with God, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So the great fulfillment of this promise of the rainbow is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need not look any further than the cross to show that God is one that makes a commitment. He keeps that commitment. And when he says it's an everlasting covenant, he means everlasting. The rainbow, the bow, the war symbol being turned into a beautiful symbol of peace. Well, that is something that only God could do. And that is why through this whole passage, he is the only one that speaks. Notice Noah does not speak. His sons do not speak. There is no reaction recorded from Noah and his sons. This passage, this promise, this covenant has nothing to do with us apart from us being blessed by it. This is God's own determination and he has fulfilled it in the Lord Jesus Christ, the great blessing. Ephesians says we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful, not a promise, but now a reality. So when you see the next rainbow, I want you to remember two things. You need to go and bless someone who doesn't deserve it because God is reminding you that you've been blessed when you haven't deserved it. Use your money, use your time, use your words, whatever it is, we must be a blessing into our world. In fact, in two weeks when we look at Abraham, There are three parts to the promise that Abraham has. He'll be given a land, he'll be given a people, and that they will be a blessing to all nations. 
We ask for fulfillment of that. Because God has blessed us, we are to go out and bless with the gospel and with everything of our life. Not to judge, but to bless. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we have received a blessing far beyond we can even imagine, Lord. That your love for us is so great that even though our heart is bent on evil all the time, you have bent the bow. And you have bent the bow into a beautiful coloured rainbow to remind us of the promise that you have made, the covenant that you have made with us. Not just to stop the rain when it comes, but to conquer sin and death. And you have done that through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise you for that, Lord. Help us not to forget to count our blessings. Help us not to forget that you have blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Thank you that we uh, survived, we survive on this earth purely because you have blessed us. And Lord, help us to be a blessing to the nations, a blessing to all those around us, in our workplaces, in our families, in our community. Help us to be known as a church that blesses, that is the light of this place, that is a beacon on a hill, a lighthouse, so that people know that when our light shines on them, it is the light of you blessing them. Father God, we pray for all those who have misrepresented the rainbow. We pray for their lives, Lord. We pray that they will come to see an even greater love than they can receive from each other. A love that can only come from the true creator, the one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who has blessed us with blessings far beyond we could ever imagine. So this week, Lord, as we go, we pray that your blessing be upon us and that you make your light shine through us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.